I can't recall ever coming to this podium with a Christmas message on my heart and feeling such an air of expectancy and encouragement and challenge as I do today. I just feel like the spirit of the living word is here to open the written word so that it might be written on your heart and your soul indelibly. And I think there's something to be said for close attention to the detail of the Word of God. Christmas is all about... Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you for just allowing us these moments. We can open your word and we can fellowship one with the other and we can receive the encouragement and the blessing and the strength that we need to live the life that you want us to live. And so, Heavenly Father, take this word this morning, write it on our hearts. May we never escape the real meaning of this season, and may it live with us every day of our lives. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise and the glory for we pray in that precious name, the name of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Christmas is all about. I'm going to just tell you up front, I have what I call three nuggets for your heart. The first nugget, going to get right into it, is what I call the prediction. Now, predictions, <laughs> predictions can be funny things. Have you ever predicted anything? Have you ever had someone predict something? Have you ever heard of a prediction? I once read about a man who was a very qualified, educationally, very qualified uh, television meteorologist. But however he did, he did a terrible job at forecasting the weather. I often thought that's a job I'd like to have had. Uh, it, it doesn't really matter how things turn out. You still have your job. <laughs> yeah. However, he lost his job, this guy. And this isn't funny. So he eventually moved out of the area, which was smart, and he moved to another state and you know, in time, he applied for a similar position. And in the interview for that job, they asked him, well, what was the reason for leaving your previous position? This was his answer. Well, the climate there never agreed with me. Now, it's, it's, it's practically impossible for any of us to forecast the future. But I've got, a, I've, I've got news for you. 
The Bible's prophecies are always true. They're yea and amen in the Lord Jesus. So if you will listen closely today, you can hear the sounds of Christmas, even right over here in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly, the Old Testament belongs to thousands of years before Jesus Christ was born. And over 300 references about the Messiah came true in the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, the first Christmas is what I call Christmas in the Garden of Eden. Around 4,000 years before Christ's birth. God, you say, well, how could there be a Christmas before Jesus was even born? Thanks for that question. That tells me you're listening. God the Creator Himself preached the first Christmas message. He pictured Jesus crushing Satan at the cross. I'm already interested in this story, aren't you? Adam and Eve, and of course along with Satan, that was the congregation. The Garden of Eden was the sanctuary. And that is the message of Christmas in the Garden. So let's explore this Christmas message I was going to call it Christmas 4000 B.C., but I didn't want to really confuse you. So let's take our Bibles now and go to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to read, I'm going to read a couple of verses. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. If you haven't already got these marked in your Bible, be sure to mark them somehow or in your notes. Genesis 3, verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and and her seed, can, can we just stop there if you're watching the screen? Her seed, you see those words? See the capital S? Thank you. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So now we start with a big problem. Adam and Eve have just eaten of the prohibited fruit, and sin has entered paradise. Their first impulse is to hide from God, just like you, just like me. When we know we've sinned, we try to hide. The second impulse is to make excuses for the sin. None of us ever do that, but they say some people have really gotten good at that. First, Adam blames the woman the woman blames the serpent. This is the only time I ever felt bad for Satan. He had nobody to blame. It all came back to him. But my point here is no one is willing to stand up and say those words. I did it. It's my fault. I take responsibility. I, I, I like Eve, Eve's little, little detour. Uh, if you go over to uh, ch in chapter 3, 
and, and uh, look at verse 3. She, her, she adds to her disobedience. Can't believe she would do this, but she did it. And she, she told an out and out lie. She said, well, well, God told us that we shouldn't eat the fruit of that tree in the middle of the garden or touch it. You go back and check your scripture. God never said anything about touching a tree. See, when we make our excuses, we really make up some good stories. My mother used to say, that's a whopper. Yeah. Ha ha. She's already caught in sin. Now she's caught in a lie. Suddenly, the glorious Garden of Eden, well, it's not so beautiful anymore. The entrance of sin has ruined Eden. Dark shadows have fallen on the ground as Adam and Eve contemplate what, they, what they've done and what are they going to do next. And the smell of, the, of death is in the air now, not even heard of before. But over under a nearby tree, the serpent lies quietly. He's alone. He's happy. He delights in what is happening for You see... This was his plan from the very beginning. He intended to humiliate God by ruining paradise, and now he's done it. Satan was once himself, remember? He once himself fell from God's presence, and now he's taken the man out of the presence of God. And Satan now tells the humans, in essence, you, you still believe this God? You're not. You're not faithful to trust God with your free will, are you? You don't really have free will. Now, as God surveys the moral wreckage of the fall, he immediately begins to deliver judgment. He begins where the sin began. He starts with the serpent. Then he pronounces victory of Jesus over Satan as the message of Christmas in the Garden of Eden. Later, he pronounces judgment to the woman and also to the man. So let's see, break it down again, what he spoke to the serpent. He said, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, because you've done this, you are now cursed above all livestock and all the wild animals, and you're going to crawl on your belly, and you're going to eat dust all the days of your life. He passes judgment on the serpent for his part in the fall of humanity. He's cursed above every animal. He's going to crawl on his belly forever. He's going to eat dust all the days of his life. Then down in verse 15, and, 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 God is still speaking, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her, capital S-E-E-D, seed, he will bruise or crush your head, and you will strike or bruise his heel. And I, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now, the key word here, obviously, is enmity, which means hostility. It means animosity. It means a deep divide. If the devil thought by deceiving the woman, he now had her on his side, he was gravely mistaken. Eve did make a huge mistake, but she was never planning to join Satan's party. 
She was not going to get along with Satan. She will hope for Messiah Jesus. You see, a true message of Christmas right there in the Garden of Eden is as plain as plain can be. What about that word, the seed? Seed means offspring. Usually when we talk about the seed, we talk about a man. When we speak of offspring, we say, well, this person or that person, well, he or she is an offspring of so-and-so, and we always name the father, the man. Why? Why is it the seed of the man? Because here, and the Bible's very clear, it says it's the seed of the woman. I believe the Bible. Now stay with me because this is, this is the most important factor and the most important tenet of our faith. Nothing else even comes close to it. He's making the point here. This verse is very clear. The Bible's talking about the first Christmas in Eden, and this verse is making a point of the virgin birth the Savior will have. There is no male seed in the miraculous pregnancy caused by the Holy Spirit and ordered by God. It is the seed of the woman. Joseph was there, but he's not the biological father of Jesus. If Jesus was the seed of a human being, it is the seed of the woman. Now, God is saying, and there will be permanent enmity between Jesus and Satan. And it talks about the permanent conflict that God has with Satan and the conflict that the light of the world has with the ruler of the kingdom of the darkness of this world. That's quite a prediction. For all these 6,000 years, it stayed the course. It's still true. God is still in control. Jesus is still the Savior. And Satan is still the defeated foe. The prediction. Christmas is all about, I want to give you the second nugget. The promise. I want to lighten it up a little bit for you. Notice that the devil was doomed before the seed was ever born. The curse was pronounced by God long before there was a seed. My friend, let me tell you that that devil that's been fighting you, that devil that's been in your yard and has been making a mess of things, he had a bounty on his head before you and I were born, and he is defeated in the name of Jesus Christ. God said, I will defeat you through the birth of a baby. <laughs> Sometimes you think you hate to hear a baby's cry. Imagine how it made the devil feel the first time that shriek of a newborn filled the sky. I wonder if that isn't why he fights to kill the babies before they even get a chance to cry. Kill them in the womb, but don't make me hear that sound. God had promised that the Messiah was coming who would destroy the works of the devil and that he would be the seed, I want to say it again, capital S-E-E-D, of the woman. 
The tempter was to be crushed by one particular seed or descendant or offspring, if you will, of the woman. This is a glorious promise, glorious promise. Like some descendant of the woman was going to destroy the serpent. The serpent would strike the uh, the descendant's heel and bruise him, but the descendant would strike the final fatal blow. The descendant would crush the serpent's head. This is definitely a promise of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is the first promise of the Savior in the Bible. And that promise is unconditional. The Savior would come. Uh, Do we need to be reminded? The Savior did come. And he would destroy the serpent, the tempter, in order to reconcile man with God. This is what's known as the Adamic covenant, God's unconditional promise to Adam and to all mankind. The unconditional promise to send the Savior to deliver man from the grip of the evil one. And again, Genesis 3, verse 15, is the very first declaration of the gospel as we know it. Now, of course, the New Testament clearly tells us who the promised seed is. The seed may sometimes refer to descendants of humanity or it may re- refer sometimes in the Bible to, as Israel, but the primary meaning of the promised seed is singular. It is Christ Jesus himself. The promised seed is said to be the seed of the woman. I think I've said that before. Not of the man. And once again, this points toward the virgin birth, or what's called the incarnation, bringing to life of Christ. The devil from this point on would try to destroy the seed of the woman. But I want you to note this. God never said which woman would bear the seed. So Satan was always left guessing. You remember when, when, when Christ was born, Herod wanted to kill all the boy babies? Well, why all of them if Satan already knew which one was the Savior? You study the story of Moses, much the same. If he knew so much, you see, he knows a lot. He knows more than we do. Satan is very knowledgeable, but he's not all knowledgeable. Satan is very powerful, but he's not all powerful. And so God never said who the woman was going to be that would bear the seed, and Satan was always left guessing. In fact, he's tried from the very beginning that that word was spoken to destroy the seed of the woman, whoever that woman might be. And he's been waging war against the seed of God, the Savior of the world, ever since God promised to save the world. And he's still at it today, and he's working overtime. And I'll tell you why he's working overtime, because his time is getting short. You can read it yourself. The the line of Abel, Adam's son. Satan led Cain, the brother, to kill Abel, but God gave Adam another son. Seth, you can read it in Genesis 4. There was the early line of the godly seed. Satan let the godly line to mix with the ungodly and led them into vile wickedness, and God tried 
had to destroy the earth, so to speak, and all of its inhabitants except for one family. But God raised up Noah. You can read it in Genesis 6. It's interesting to note that part of the covenant that God made with Noah when he remembered Noah is that there would be time of, uh, that, that there would be seed time and harvest in Genesis chapter 8, 22, and it would continue. Don't you know that that sent the devil into a panic? I know it's speaking primarily in relation to the soil and the earth as we know it, but I also believe it relates to the entire picture of fertility. Then you go down to Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. <laughs> you see, the first blessing upon this post-flood new world was the blessing of fertility. Why? Because God promised a seed. All it took to destroy the works of the devil was the seed. The seed in relation to the size of the enemy, it seems so small, too small, insignificant maybe. No. I'm here to assure you that Satan and all of his cohorts is no match for the seed that lives inside you. What did John write in 1 John 4? You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The power of the seed is not measured in its size, but rather in its reproductive power. Jesus said, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. All power. He also said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. In Matthew 17 and again in Luke 17, Jesus is found saying these words. You probably know them, and if you do, just help me. If you have faith as a grain of mustard, if you have faith small as a grain of mustard, you shall say to this mountain, be moved. Moved any mountains lately? You know how tiny a mustard seed is? Yeah, you can put it in the palm of your hand. And if you don't have a magnifying glass, you probably won't see where it is. So if that be true, how big is our faith? The power is not in the word. The power is in the seed. And the devil, for that reason, hates the seed. So first, we've heard the prediction. Secondly, we've seen the promise. For Christmas is all about. In a far away cold climate country, and a very good number of years ago, there was a young orphan boy selling newspapers on a windy, freezing Christmas Eve afternoon. 
Toward the close of the afternoon, as the sun was setting, the little boy walked up to a policeman on the corner. And he said, please, sir, sir, I'm real cold. I nearly froze to death last night. You know someone who could take, could take me in, maybe, maybe take me in for the night? A big policeman bent over that child and he said, son, listen carefully. Go right down that street, right there. All the way down to that big white two-story house. You can see it from here. It's a mission. When you get there, third nugget, you will need the password. When the nice man comes to the door, just say, John 3, verse 16, and he'll take you in. The little boy said to the policeman, Sir, please, what's the mission? Policeman said, don't, bother, don't worry about that now. Just go down, pick up your papers, go down there, and go all the way down to that big house and say, John 3, verse 16. The little boy went down the street several blocks, and he knocked on the big front door. And in a moment, a kind-faced man came to the door, and the little boy said, John 3, verse 16. The man then said, come on in, son. The little boy said, I don't, I don't know what John 3, verse 16 means, but it sure will get, get a guy into a big house Man said, Son, are you cold? John 3, verse 16. Sir, I'm so cold. I'm shaking all over. I can't stop. I've never been, never been this cold. The man said, come right, come right over here. There's a big roaring fireplace. The man said, just get, get up so close, get as close as you want to to this fireplace and just sit there until it just warms you all the way through. The little boy just got right up close to that fireplace and he just got warmer and warmer and, and warmer. And he said, I, I, Sir, I, I, I don't know what John 3, verse 16 means, but it sure 
can get a cold boy warm. In a few moments, the man said, Son, are you hungry? <laughs> the boy said, John 3, verse 16, Mister, I'm so hungry. I don't know what to do. I haven't had a meal in days and days and days. And that man said, come on, come, come in here with me. And he took him in, in, into a room and there was this huge table and the table was all spread it was loaded with a Christmas Eve feast. There was turkey and dressing and cranberry sauce and mashed potatoes and gravy and all the other things and pies and cakes. And, and the good man said, Sir, son, you just pull up a chair to this table and you just eat until you are full and you can't even eat one more bite. And the little boy grabbed the chair and he pulled himself up to that table and he said, I, I, don't, I don't even know what John 3 verse 16 means, but it sure will make a hungry boy satisfied. He ate and he ate and he ate until he could eat. No more. Then the man came and said, Son, are you dirty? Are you dirty? You've been out on the, on the street a long time. Do you need a bath? The boy said, John 3, verse 16, Mr. I, I haven't had a bath since I couldn't even tell you when. Yes, I'm dirty. The man said, come with me. And he took him up to the second floor to a room there, and there was one of those clawfoot porcelain tubs. And the man began to draw warm water, and he said, son, here's a bar of perfumed soap. Take that soap and Get in that warm water and, and just wash and scrub <laughs> and wash and scrub until you get yourself real clean. The little boy got in there and he washed himself and he scrubbed himself so well and he felt so good all over. And he got out dripping. <laughs> And he grabbed a warm, fuzzy towel, and he said, Sir, I don't know what John 3, verse 16 means, but it sure will get a dirty boy clean. There were some warm, clean pajamas laid out, and he put them on. The man said, Son, are you tired? 
He said, John 3, verse 16. Yes, sir, I'm very tired. I've been walking on the streets. I don't know how long. I haven't had a good night's sleep. I'm so tired. Then he heard that voice. Come with me. And the kind man led him into another room. And there was a big bed with clean sheets on it and a big heavy quilt on it. He said, son, go ahead and get in that bed and sleep. <laughs> sleep as long as you want to sleep. And he did. He slept late into the next morning, and when he woke up, he said, I don't know what John 3 Verse 16 means, but it sure can get a tired boy rested. <laughs> the man came in and the little boy said, Sir, sir, I don't know what John 3, verse 16, I don't know what it means. Could you tell me what is it? What is it? You see, I don't know what John 3, verse 16 means, but, but I got into this big house. I, I don't know what John 3, verse 16 means, but it, it made a hungry boy satisfied. And, 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 and I don't know what John 3, verse 16 means, but it got a dirty boy cleaned. Sir, I don't know what John 3, verse 16 means, but it got a tired boy rested. Hmm. The man opened his Bible, Holy Bible. He turned to the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16. Then he explained to the boy just what it meant. Would you please read it with me? I think we're going to have it. Yes. Would you please read it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I think on my part I know I can do better and I think this whole crowd, everyone, can do better as you join me. Again, one more time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have. My son, my son, the man said. You see, John 3, verse 16, tells us what Christmas is all about. About. It is about God's unconditional love. It is about God's unspeakable gift. It is about God's unselective deliverance. <laughs> and it's about God's Uncommon blessing. Yes, 
The day that man committed sin, God pronounced the first Christmas message. That he was going to send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to take away the sins of the world. Jesus is the, capital S, seed of the woman. He came to overturn the curse of Genesis 3. He came and accomplished his mission for you and for me. So dear brothers and sisters, in the spirit of the season, at this Christmas time, let's put our trust in Jesus Christ alone. He's God. Yeah. He's the fulfillment of the law. If you've never had a chance to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior in your life, man, we would love to give you that opportunity to do so. And we invite you to reach out to someone near you, to speak to someone that's here on the platform, or one of the pastors as well, or fill out information on the Connect card and leave it with us. We want to help you have the greatest Christmas you've ever had. If you're one who already believes in Christ and you're going through some tough times, and we all do, and there's nothing wrong with you that you're going through that, it's not, it's not don't take that personally and don't, and, and don't feel dejected and despondent over that. God wants to deliver you and he wants to do it today. He wants to strengthen you today. You see, Jesus was bruised brought us healing. Jesus was pierced to ease our pain. Jesus was cursed, and he brought blessings. Jesus Christ is the seed. And let me just remind you, he's faithful to lead you. So let's all come and celebrate him this day. God loves you. We love you. I love you. All in Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.